0: Good to be with you guys this morning. We are getting to one of my favorite people in the Christmas story, the person of Zechariah. As we come through this uh, season of looking at the men in waiting, the men in the Christmas story, and what it looked like for them to be in waiting with the Lord. And I tell you what, I think a lot of us are going to find a friend in Zechariah today because Zechariah's question is, how can I be sure? How can I really know? So if you're a person who's walked around with doubts and you can't imagine being so bold before God to say, yeah, how can I really know? Then you're in good company with Zechariah today. This story is particularly precious to me. I think those of us who've walked with Jesus for a while, we have these like milestone moments that we turn back to and say, this is a moment that God was especially real. And for me, it was when I preached on Zechariah eight years ago. It was a major breakthrough moment for me. Larry and I were in the throes of nine years of infertility, and I felt like at that moment, God really was urging me to share about how good he is before we became pregnant, before our circumstances changed. I didn't know how much longer I was going to wait. Nine years is already a long time, but I just knew I needed to testify to God's goodness and I got the chance to do that preaching this passage of scripture. And spoiler alert, our seven year old just ran out the door. So God was pretty quick on the heels of that message to answer that uh, long awaited sense of promise. But I can't tell you how many times in the course of that nine years, I asked the question, how can I be sure? How can I be sure that God is good? How can I be sure that he's gonna make good on this promise that I've really sensed that he is going to give us a child? So I think that's why I connected so much with Zechariah. He is a friend who has the boldness to ask God, how can I be sure? And to actually receive an answer of how can I be sure? So if you're asking similar questions, be not afraid because Zechariah is gonna ask for us. Let me um, bring you into the story of Zechariah. Um, this is the very beginning of the Gospel of Luke. Zechariah is the first person on the scene in his story and he sets us in the context that Zechariah is in a secular world. That, so that's why we start with all these names we don't know. So hear God's word and get to know who I hope is going to be your good friend, Zechariah, the man in waiting. I'm reading from Luke chapter 1 I'm beginning in verse 5. God's word says, in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now, just listen to me for a second because I'm just going to paraphrase for here. So you've got this righteous man who gets his actually probably once in a lifetime chance to go as close to God's presence as he can get inside the temple in the king's city, the city of David of Jerusalem. So he's as close as he can get to God's presence and he's offering prayers before God. He's serving God by praying and while he's doing that inside by himself everybody's outside and unprecedentedly An angel appears to him. It's been over 400 years since God has spoken. And an angel shows up. And this is what the angel says. Verse 13. The angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. You will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. And then he gives him some details about John's life. And then Zechariah says to the angel, How shall I know this? Or in the NIV, How can I be sure? Can you imagine? Okay, thanks, thanks, Zach. Really appreciate you. He doesn't stop there because, for I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Not my words, I'm not an ageist. This is Zechariah saying of this of himself. How can I be sure? Because I'm an old man and Elizabeth is my wife, is advanced in years. Oh my goodness. God bless you, Zach. He wanted to be sure. And we're all glad that Zechariah is the one who asked this question because Zechariah should have known. Like, he should be the guy who has it all together. He's a priest in a way that has been handed down for more than a thousand years, father to son, father to son, father to son, father to son, father to son. son. He knows all the things. He knows the scriptures. He knows how to work the temple. He's been teaching this stuff for goodness sake. And he's the one who in this moment of encountering God still isn't sure. That's such a relief to me. Man, I love, I love this life of walking with God. So Zechariah is given two promises in this moment that he's not sure about. He's been, promised a per, he's been given a personal promise that you're going to be given a son. And then he's been given a public promise that that son is going to have a significant role to play in God bringing this visitation of the most high God that people have been waiting for since Genesis chapter 3. <laughs> for a long time. I'm just gonna speculate for a moment because I wonder which one Zechariah doubted more. I'd like to think that as the priest, he didn't doubt the like overarching plan of God, right? But let's give this guy a break because he's been inheriting, inheriting this job for, for uh, forever, of this family job of being the priest and nobody has heard God speak back for 400 years. So let's just give the guy a break. If he's going through the dutiful motions of week after week, going to the temple, of teaching the things, of learning the things, and he still has doubts, I I think that's okay to come alongside him in that. For sure we know he doubted the idea of having a son because he gives that amazing extra clause to the angel because I don't know if you're aware, angel, But I'm old, (laughs) and so is my wife. So he definitely uh, was struggling with the doubts regarding his own limitations. And if I can speculate, might even be doubting God's limitations. The ability of God to make good on his promises. This is why I think it's so easy to befriend Zechariah. Because I think we walk with our own personal doubts. And I think we wonder, at least in stages of our life, about the, the uh, idea of this whole story being real. I, I just walked with a friend for a couple hours this week as she poured out her doubts about, she kept using the word, the narrative, the narrative that she's been given. So I love that um, Zechariah is actually uh, has the boldness to actually say this before the Lord and I I just want to pause there and say that's you actually get to ask that question of God how can I be sure because Zechariah wasn't struck dead he was actually given an answer how can I be sure and he was given two gifts he was given a witness and he was given waiting and that's what I want to press in today how can I be sure Let's look at the witness and let's look at this season of waiting and perhaps we can even see it as a gift. So he asked this question of the angel, how can I be sure? And here's the angel's first response in verse 19 and I'm going to give him some attitude because I like that. So the angel answered him, well I'm, I'm Gabriel and I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you, and to bring you this good news. So can we just start there like, boom, Zechariah. It comes on good authority. That's one way that you can be sure um, that uh, God really is at work. I wonder, would that work for you? I asked my son that yesterday. He said, would this work for you if an angel showed up and said, this is what God's doing and reads like, Yeah, I think so. I think that would probably be enough for me. In some ways, I actually think that's supposed to be enough for us as the people of God hearing this story unfold because here's what's so cool. I started reading from Luke chapter 1 verse 5. Luke chapter 1 verse 4 was this promise from Luke who wrote the story of Jesus What he opens this book so uniquely to the other stories of Jesus. He starts by saying, I collected all the eyewitness testimonies about who Jesus is and what he did. And so I wrote this to you so that you could have certainty concerning the things that you were taught. I know you're gonna doubt, because there's only one generation who saw this stuff face to face. And I want you to be certain about the things that you've taught. So the first witness he calls up for our certainty is Zechariah. He goes straight to Zechariah's story. I think that the witness of 2,000 years of passing this story down is supposed to be the starting place for our certainty that this whole thing is true. And let me just, let me just tell you, if that's not enough for you that this story has been passed down for 2,000 years and it's true, that's Okay it wasn't enough for Zechariah either. So the angel gives him something else. Verse 20, let's read the other thing the angel gives him. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Behold... In response to how can I be certain, you're going to be silent for nine months because you didn't believe. We can't get around, I really tried to get around this, but you can't get around the fact that this is punishment. I mean, the angel tells him because you didn't believe, you're going to be in silence. But I think we've got a little bit of a problem hearing that word punishment with an American ear because we only know punishment as punitive. But there are two forms of justice, punitive and restorative. Punitive justice is you've got a punishment that you've just gotta pay out because you harmed somebody and you just gotta wait out your time and do your thing. Restorative justice, on the other hand, if you were to Google it, by definition, restorative justice repairs the harm done by the crime. Restorative justice repairs the harm done by the crime. I wanna suggest to you that this gift of silence is to Zechariah a restorative justice moment because his disbelief has done harm to his soul. And God is going to come alongside him through nine months of silence, through an extended period of waiting to repair the harm done by disbelief. Gosh, sorry, I'm just like letting God let me hit hit me with that again. What is that restorative season gonna look like? Well, Zechariah can't speak. And then some, some people even think that he couldn't hear, because later you'll see people making signs to him. So he has nine months to observe what God is doing. Observe what God is doing in his immediate family, because he's gonna watch Elizabeth get pregnant and get sick. And start to grow and feel the baby, right? And that'll all be a different kind of um, experience to him without being able to speak about it, right? He's going to see Mary, the virgin mother of Jesus, come to visit Elizabeth in the last three months of her pregnancy. He's going to watch Mary start to get sick and grow, right? He's going to be observing all that God is doing in his immediate environment and that work is going to be transformational. I wonder if you have, it's hard to see this in the moment, but if you've been through a season of waiting in the past, if you've been through a period of silence where you've been waiting for God to act, can you look back and see any aspect of that that was restorative, that long season of waiting? I certainly can through that nine years of infertility. I think it really grew in me an empathy especially for people on the outside who don't have a place to fit in. I think that that um, ability to come alongside people without fixing people in their moments, I think that that's a gift that is reaping dividends at Kitsap House. I think that's a gift that God has given to our community. So my guess is that there's a lot of us sitting here who've been through a season of waiting where we felt on the outside because I have noticed that over the last year, God has sent a lot of people to our community who come on their own on Sunday morning. And it makes me think that in a lot of congregations where that aloneness is isolating, here it is restorative. People can find a place, and that only happens when other people are sitting in the chairs and have known what it feels like to be left out. And God has restored in them a sense of what it is to invite People in, So I bless God for that. I think I've seen restorative justice at work in the life of our community and I suspect it's been through the pain of a lot of you. This season of waiting was restorative for Zechariah and I want you to see just how different he is nine months later. So I'm skipping over um, Mary's visit, the song of Mary, and I'm going right to the time when John is born in Luke chapter 1 verse 57. So here the story continue. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and guess what? She bore a son, right? And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. I don't want to go over that too quickly. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, because she's the only one who can talk, right? Right. No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, well, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. And he spoke, blessing God. Now we're seeing the restorative power of this season of waiting because he's moved from the last time his mouth was open and all he could speak about was his own limitations and his doubt. And now when his mouth opens, he speaks blessing God. His his whole world has shifted off of himself and what he can or cannot do. And it has been turned over these nine months toward the power of God and what he's capable of. When we are in seasons of doubt and waiting, it is so easy to get stuck on ourselves. That was certainly me for nine years. All I could see where we lived before was all the communities I was not invited to be a part of. Instead, um, now I can look back and see I was was not the only one without a place to connect, right? Right? I hear all kinds of stories, especially in this community, from people who have a military background, who feel the limitations of PTSD or from other um, limitations that have been caused from their time in service. And it feels like as they're in this season of waiting to figure out how to reconnect into the community, they're the only ones who struggle, right? And it becomes even more isolating as they focus on their own limitations. I especially hear that from people who are in season without fulfilling work, right? The whole world revolves around what they're not able to do in this season. That is completely normal, right? I'm not condemning that. I'm just saying let's notice that that's where Zechariah was when all he could see was his barrenness and his age. But that time, that season of waiting God had a purpose for demonstrating to him that exactly in that place of limitation, exactly in that place of weakness is where God wanted to show up and show his power most prominently. If you ask people from the church that sent us the story that they knew in Larry and my life that God was real, it was the story of our infertility because it was the place of my deepest desperation and weakness and when that was shared, people most got to see the power of the glory of God. Waiting is what takes us from these places of woe is me. To like, I'm, I'm gonna be cheesy here for a second, but I hope it helps you remember this. To woe is God. Okay, I'll, I'll come back to that. Because I think we've got to embrace the limitations. Because Zechariah spoke out loud that he was old, the whole community got the opportunity to praise God and rejoice because something unique was happening. And then, and then what leads next is Zechariah breaking out in song about who God is. This is so incredible, I'm I'm about to read it, but before I get there, I just want you to know this is a a, 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 a remix, because like Zechariah has almost none of his own words here. Clearly, one of the things that um, Zechariah did the most in his waiting and in his silence was actually go looking for certainty himself about who God is, and what he is like. So we know he knew the scriptures, he was a priest, but I can only imagine in how beautifully this song is constructed that he spent a lot of the nine months returning to the Old Testament, returning to the scriptures that he knew, returning to the witnesses of who God is and what he has done before to find certainty in where he is. And he didn't just find Gabriel, the witness, he also found the young, barren woman who wanted to have a baby in Hannah. He also found the king who was too young to be king and ran away from his enemies all the time and wrote songs about it in David. He also found the old prophet Isaiah, um, who nobody wanted his job. And what he picks up from these witnesses is that God is incredibly consistent in who he is, that what God is doing in his life in Zechariah is nothing new, that his season of waiting is nothing new, that God delivers in the same way that he always has. And by focusing on these witnesses, I think, and focusing on God's activity in the past, he was changed. So here, here his incredible remix, beginning with verse 67. The father of Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, I just noticed that. It says, and his father, Zechariah, all of a sudden now, Zechariah's identity is completely connected to John. So, um, his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Boy, is he so sure now or what? As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. How can I be sure? The prophets have been saying this forever. (laughs) He keeps singing. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham thousands of years ago to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him, worship him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, there's nothing about Zechariah in this song, is there? And you, child, will be called the prophet of the most high for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. God is a God of restorative justice. When we ask the question, God, how can I be sure? He wants to bring us back to himself. He didn't just want to do it one-on-one with Zechariah. He wanted to do it with the whole world. So this song of praise is the song of praise for a God who is a restorative God who has already done the work in the person of Jesus to fulfill all of these promises. These promises are yes and amen already in the person of Jesus. He has raised up the horn of salvation out of the lineage of David. Joseph, um, Jesus will be the adopted son of Joseph from the line of David. Jesus is the king that we've always waited for. He has redeemed his people. He's bought them back. He has completely demolished all of our enemies, death, sin, Satan. They are done in the person of Jesus. He has already been the light in the darkness that the darkness has not overcome. That's John's beautiful and true. To the Christmas story. Jesus is already the yes and amen. How can we be sure? We have the witness, Zechariah, Gabriel, the person of Jesus. We have our own seasons of waiting. So the question is, my friends, are you willing to be like Zechariah? Are you willing to be in touch with your doubts and with your needs? It's a scary place to dwell. Nobody wants to sit in the temple of the Lord and say, I'm old and then wait nine months in silence thinking about that, right? But your doubts and your needs are the places where you can personally encounter the power of God. This story would have been completely different if Zechariah and Elizabeth were 20 years old and just hadn't had a baby yet, right? It would not have given testimony to the power of God. People could have shrugged their shoulders at it. It was because he was old that God's power worked through him. That Psalm 130, I was in in New York in September of 2018 when Judah Smith was preaching on Psalm 130 and the Holy Spirit overwhelmed me with confidence. We looked at Psalm 130 last week, more than watchmen for the morning, my soul waits for the Lord. And in, and in his word, I hope. And with that testimony of David's, with that witness of David's, the, I, was gi- I was gifted faith. Faith, Hebrews 11.1 one says, is the certainty of things hoped for. And the Spirit granted that to me. And I was forever changed, not because God had made me pregnant, but because God had met me in my desperation. Larry works as a counselor. I don't know if you guys know this. He's training to be a counselor. I don't know if you want to meet with him or not, to be honest. Because this is Larry's skill set. He likes to get people to their place of most desperate emotional need. He doesn't do that because he's cruel and he wants you to cry. Though he might come home and cheer when you do. So, you know, there's that. But he does it because he knows when he's touched that place of emotional need, he's really close to the Spirit of God at work in the heart of a person because that's where the transformation can happen. So I want to call us to a reframe because we're scared of our doubts and we're scared of our weaknesses. I want to call us to a two-fold reframe that only the gospel of Jesus lets us have. This completely different way of looking at things. The first thing I want to reframe is that your limitation is not something to be overcome for you to work harder at. Your limitations are the very place where God will make his power known. Can you give those to the Lord? I'm old <laughs> and my wife is barren. Yeah, I know. And expect God to move there. Can you read the story of the witnesses of Scripture and say, oh, look, Zechariah's story started not with he is holy and righteous, But with he is barren and then that's where the story of God takes over. Can you believe that for yourself? The second reframe is perhaps your waiting is not punitive but restorative. Larry started with the passage in Hosea about God's love for us and how he draws near to us and bends down to us and feeds us. Can you imagine, can you reimagine with the Lord this season of waiting and ask him to reframe that for you Not as a time of punishment, a time of absence from the Lord, but a time where he is restoring the harm done to your body and to your soul. This is what is actually significant with God's character, his restoration, not his punitive punishment. From Genesis 3 forward, from the time that the curse is introduced, every story is about God taking the punishment upon himself so that he can restore us into relationship With him, he repairs the harm done by our disobedience and by our doubt. Jesus took that punishment upon himself. He embraced human limitation. Philippians 2, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant and being found in human likeness. He became obedient unto death, death on a cross. That was not punitive, it was restorative. Because in that death, the unleashing power of God's resurrection was unleashed in the world. His spirit now works resurrection in all of our places of death and waiting. This is the pattern of God. His restorative work. This is the story of God. Are you feeling unsure about that story? You're in good company. (laughs) You're in good company with Zechariah. And with Kitsap House but you're also in the company of people who will insist on the witness of who God is and on returning to his scripture to be certain that this really is who God is in the world so here's the call wait and be sure isn't that so fun I told you guys we're gonna love Advent season waiting season so fun so fun wait and be sure If you're not in a season of waiting, I want to call you especially to be a witness this season. If you haven't already sent out your Christmas cards, I heard the Swans did earlier, congratulations. Really celebrate you. If you haven't yet, instead of chronicling your vacations, would you consider chronicling for people one way that God has met you this year? One way that you've experienced This is where I was. This is the limitation I experienced and this is how God has shown up for me this year. Would you consider being a witness? Those of us who are not sure need you. And if you are in a season of waiting, I wanna call you to the scriptures. I wanna call you to invite the spirit of God who brings resurrection life to us. To ask you, like Zechariah pulled from all these other songs, Ask the Spirit to to drive certainty into you. You have a passage of Scripture in front of you. I don't know if, you know, by the Presbyterian predestination, that passage is yours for today. I don't know. But I wonder if you'd at least consider that it is. Our kids are going to join us as we prepare for communion. And I want to invite you to look at that passage of Scripture and to say, Lord, would you work certainty into my heart as I read your word? Would you give me the confidence, the faith that is certain of what I hope for? Would you grant me what Luke wanted for me, certainty consider the things, concerning the things that you have been taught? Let me pray for us, and we're going to spend some time meditating on the word before we receive communion. Holy Father, thank you for forming a kingdom of people that you don't mind asking you, how can I be sure? You receive the doubter, the weak, the limited. You actually were drawn to them. You sought them out when you walked on the earth. Thank you, Lord, for seeking and saving the lost because such were we, such are we. Holy Spirit, we ask for the certainty that comes by faith alone alone. that looks at those who've kept the faith and said they were sure that this is who God is. They experienced him this way. Perhaps so can I. Lord, in your great mercy, would you draw near to the doubter today? Would you make space for them in this community? And Lord, would you increase our faith that we might speak your praise boldly? In Jesus' name, I invite you to continue praying. You have been listening to a Kitsap House podcast. We are located in Port Orchard, Washington with in-person worship every Sunday. For more information, go online to kitsaphouse.org. Don't forget to subscribe and tell a friend. Thank you and God bless.